Welcome to the Cuban Genealogy Podcast, episode number 305, July 2020. In this episode, we interview Nicola Morris. She is the co-founder and director of Timeline.ie, which is a Irish genealogy website. Many of you know there are Irish last names, Irish immigrants to Cuba, so I thought it would be interesting to sit down and have a casual conversation with Nicola Morris. And now, on to the podcast. So I'm just going to do like a, a little introduction because um, you have a, a really fun background and then just uh, talk about Irish genealogy. So I, uh, someone like me who has uh, an American mother and a Cuban father, you know, there's a possibility to have Irish on, on either side. So yeah. it's, it's, it's as a genealogist, it's kind of, you have to keep all these little pieces in mind. Like it could be coming from, from, from different places. So. Okay, so you are Nicola Morris, and you're the director of Timeline, a genealogy website in the in the UK. I mean, I'm sorry, in Ireland, not in the UK. <laughs> um, you're an accredited genealogist. You've been on the Genealogy Roadshow, and you were also born in Kenya, and have a connection to Henry VIII, one of my favorite pieces of history um, uh, ever. So. Um, First of all, how did you? How did you? How did your family get to Kenya? And uh, what's your your interest in genealogy and history? Well, so my mom is Irish and my dad is English. And when they got married, he got a job in Kenya. So that's 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 how I made it there. And so myself and my sister were born there. I mean, we left when we were very young, so I don't really have any memories of it. Um, but still the idea of a connection, you know, to, to that place. And they still have friends who, you know, they, they knew from that time. So um, that's the Kenya connection. And then I really grew up in, in Dublin and studied history in Trinity, uh, in Trinity College. And when I graduated, the first job I got was with a company that had set up specializing in genealogical research. So I didn't know that was actually a job. <laughs> And so when I found them and started with them, I realized this is what I love to do. The detective work and the history um, marrying those two together was just was perfect for me. So that's pretty much what I've been doing ever since. It's like a dream, a dream come true. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's talk about what information is available online for Irish ancestry and maybe what isn't available online. So there's actually a huge amount of Irish records that are now available online. And actually what's really important is, is understanding where they are online. They're not necessarily all on Ancestry.com or Find My Past. Actually, the Irish government has been responsible for publishing a lot of records online for free. So IrishGenealogy.ie has the records for civil registration. So that's births, deaths and marriages which largely commenced in 1864 and run up into the 20th century. Now, they have restrictions. You know, you can't access a birth record that's less than 100 years old, a marriage record less than 75, and a death record less than 50. But what they have put online is certainly a, a large collection of records for the second half of the 19th century and early 20th century. And um, completely free, you can download the original registration images so that's the book that was filled in when the birth was registered. So that's going to be the most accurate information as well. Um, 
church records. So the National Library of Ireland, for example, in the 1950s, they set about a project of, of microfilming all the Roman Catholic parish registers for the entire island. And they did this in conjunction with the Roman Catholic hierarchy. Um, so they copied every register they could up to 1880. So that could be a register that started in 1750, 1795, you know, 1830, up to 1880. And then recently the National Library of Ireland digitized all of those registers and put them for free again online. So you can access the originals if you want to do the legwork. And I know if you've looked at parish registers, they can be challenging. Um, but at least it's the original record and you can tell yourself whether your ancestor appears in it or not. <coughs> it's available online. Um, the census, 1901 and 1911, completely free, available online on the National Archives website. And they've done is they've set up a genealogy site uh, as part of the National Archives, um, which is publishing, again, a lot of their resources for free. So things like the Tide the Plotman books, which is a land set of land records from the 1820s and the 1830s, um, will calendars, convert rolls, all sorts of sort of interesting pieces in their collection that will be useful for genealogical research. So I think one of the really important things that I found for people who are looking into their Irish ancestry is don't just go to ancestry.com <laughs> and start there. Actually start looking at what the specific sets of records, if you want church records where you'll find them, if you want civil records where you'll find them, if you want census returns where you'll find them. And they're all freely available online um, for, to anybody anywhere in the world. So that's really exciting. And those are the main sort of resources for people researching their Irish family history. Um, what I find really helpful, there's a website which is called johngrenham.com. Uh, that's J-O-H-N-G-R-E-N-H-A-M. Um, and John Grenham is sort of referred to as the kind of the godfather of Irish genealogy. So he's published the books Tracing Your Irish Ancestors. It's currently on its fifth edition, which is a guide to Irish genealogical records. Now, he's also set up a website, johngrenham.com which is incredibly valuable for anybody interested in, in, in Irish genealogy because it's a, it's a resource of sources. Do you know, he's not publishing records, he's publishing sources, where to find them, what sources relate to what places. So you can actually use his maps on his site, the place name search, and say pick County Cork and then pick a parish within Cork and he will list all the different church records associated with that parish burial registers, gravestone transcriptions, censuses, census substitutes, land records, everything that relates to that parish that could be a useful genealogical source. So for navigating, you know, if you discover you've an ancestor who came from a particular place in Kerry and you want to know how to document them better, rather than jumping into a big website and just sticking a name in, use John's website to actually find out what survives for that area. Because there's no point in trying to search for somebody if the records don't survive. You're better off finding out in advance. Actually, the parish registers, the Catholic registers for this parish only start in 1840. So if I'm looking for somebody born in the 1820s, I'm wasting my time trying to find them here. I need to think of another way to find evidence of them, perhaps using land records or something else. Well, you know, we, we have a lot in common, you know, I do the Cuban genealogy podcast. Cuba's also an island. 
and we're trying to digitize all the parish records for for Cuba, but we don't have the Roman Church. You know, we don't have the Vatican backing us up on on the other side. So um, we have about 109 churches on our project list. We've done three. So right. and none of that's on Ancestry.com. So. Um, <clears throat> what about the uh, Catholic Heritage Archive? Are you do you do you find that website useful for? I think that's um, find my past. Okay, yeah, I don't know the Catholic Heritage Archive, but I'm presuming if it's on find my past. So you see what what find my past did and ancestry did when the National Library digitized the church records. Find my past and ancestry got together and basically downloaded the entire digital collection and then had them rekeyed into a database and mm. um, now the there is there are problems with that database so there is there's been a lot of issues with the spelling of surnames and the interpretation of the records i think they're slowly making corrections to them but i have found when i've used those databases i haven't found the records that i know are there so when i've gone and looked at the register itself i've discovered that actually yeah that the baptism is there it's not showing up in their database because the surname has been incorrectly transcribed or the search engine i think particularly on the find my past when i find that the search engine can sometimes be a little sticky it's not picking up on particular sort of variants of first names and i think you probably know from looking at catholic registers is that they're either they're written in latin or certainly ours were all written in latin so you have the latinized first names which to your own eye can actually sort of, you can pick it out. I mean, you can see where Patricus is Patrick or Gilliam is William. But I, I think that search engines obviously aren't intuitive enough to pick up on that kind of, that kind of thing. So um, like Jacob for James. So the website, they, it's, it's a good database to start with. But if you don't find what you're looking for, that doesn't mean it's not there. I think you might just want to scratch a little bit harder. So, for example, I'll sometimes just search for a specific parish just by the mother's first name. So, say, all children born to a mother named Sarah between these two dates. And fine, I have to go through a long list, but actually entries will start jumping off the page and I can see that's a mistranscription of a surname I'm looking for. It looks close to it, but it's not what I was is not what I thought it would appear in the register. So using those little tricks, I think, can be really helpful, is don't search for something very specific. Do a really broad search first and see what you can pick up and then eliminate records rather than coming up with the blank. You mentioned spelling issues and, you know, our ancestors, you know, even in the same generation, often would spell their last name differently or... You know, spelling 100 or 200 years ago wasn't as important as it is today, you know. Yeah. So that's something to, that, to, to really keep in mind. So, Well, I think it's just really important to also sort of understand, I suppose, the level of education that people had mm -hmm. and the people who were responsible for creating the records. So the, the majority of the population here, you know, prior to the 1850s couldn't read and write. And the person who created the record was either the parish priest or the local clerk. And even when you think about the relationship between that person and the parish priest, you're not going to correct the parish priest if he spells your name incorrectly. You know? So, I, you know, and I think that, that those relationships, are understanding those relationships are important to understanding how a record is created. 
Because I think some people can be very married to a specific spelling of a surname. And actually, no, you've got to, you've got to look at every possible convention under the sun, you know? Yeah, you have to let that go a little bit. So, yeah. <clears throat> so I see that you have genealogists that people can hire to do some research. After you do the, what, what would be a, uh, what's probably the most common barrier or, or time, uh, time frame where, where people get frustrated and they need to look for, for help from, from an organization like yours? Yeah, I think it's, it is, for a lot of the diaspora, it's making the leap from where they are back to Irish records. Because you, depending on when your ancestors left Ireland, you need an awful lot of information to be able to locate the correct family in Ireland. So you either need a really specific place of origin. Um, so Ireland often isn't enough. You know, even a county isn't enough. So even if you had evidence that your ancestors came from Cork or Monaghan, it's a starting point, but it might not be enough to get the right family. You often, excuse me, you often need to know the names of the parents of the emigrant. So, you know, particularly if you're looking for someone with a common name. So if you're looking for, you know, Michael Kelly, you're going to find 20 Michael Kellys born in 1835. You need his parents' names, his address, or his siblings to narrow it down to the right family, you know? Um, so that's sort of, that would be the challenge. And that's where we meet a lot of people that they've got to a point, say, in the US or in the UK, where they've gathered a certain amount of information and they want to make the leap to Ireland, um, but they don't know where to start. I recently discovered that, you know, I have doing Cuban research, we always think of Cuban diaspora, diaspora, but we never think about other countries that have it. You know, Ireland ha definitely has it. Yeah. And it just never really crossed my mind that even when the Catholics in Ireland were having a hard time that they, you know, Spain said you could come over here. And that, that never crossed my mind that there would be Irish people that would want to go to Spain. It's a different language and a different culture and different food and different, but, it, but, you know, I just discovered that a couple of weeks ago and it was, it was, it was kind of a, quite an eye opener. So that like just in general, where, where, where historically, where did the Irish go? So just everywhere. about everywhere. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, and for lots of different reasons. So obviously we're aware of kind of the mass emigration to the United States sort of before, during and after the famine. And that's one big route. Um, but the Irish served in the British army in the 19th century. And they made up a pretty big proportion of the British army, their rank and file. And that took them all over the world. So you've large numbers of Irish who were in India and who married in India and some of whom may have stayed in India. You have a large number of Irish then who would have settled in New Zealand and often would have come out uh, as part of military to New Zealand and then stayed. Similarly, there were Irish transported to Australia for committing crimes um, and then who emigrated to Australia. So we've, you know, we've, and then, I mean, there's this really strong Irish connection with County Westmeath and Argentina. So large numbers of, of Irish went out there and some sort of, you know, they, I think they farmed. And once, once one person goes, then you open a chain. So you then have a route established for other people. So we do find small numbers, but small but significant numbers of Irish sort of scattered throughout um, sort of Latin America um, that we come across. So, I mean, I've met people from Latin America who've visited Ireland 
completely unaware of a connection. And I said, oh, well, we have an O'Connell Street and we have this name here. And they had no idea that it was an Irish, a name of Irish origin. To them, that was a, you know, an Argentinian name or a Peruvian name. Um, and they didn't realize it had originally come from an Irish emigrant. So, I mean, we were, we're out there everywhere. We've been traveling out there everywhere for, long, for a long time, you know. Yeah, you have to keep in mind it wasn't always maybe Ireland to a certain destination. For example, we have Irish that went to Cuba and then from Cuba went to Tampa up into Florida, you know, as part of the USA. So we have Irish that came to the US and then went down to Cuba, you know, for whatever reason to open a bar or work there during their revolution or work on their rail. We have a lot of Irish working on the on the Cuban railroad that came through the US. Okay. So it's this it's yeah. this kind of it's not you know, it's not just a straight line of from one country to another. It's they kind of have to, you're kind of going in circles and around the world and coming back home or maybe staying or having children in different places. So um, absolutely, which makes it tough for a genealogist, <laughs> but an amazing story when you're able to put it together. My favorite story that I've come across so far is about, um, I, I guess there were four female pirates and one of one of them was uh, an Irish one named Anne Bonny. Mm-hmm. And she was involved with Calico Jack, and I she had a baby. The the one of the stories is that she had a baby and she left the the baby son in Cuba, and then she had to go back and you know she had her her legal issues and was imprisoned. But this story of an Irish baby in Cuba, you know, three hundred years ago that mm. blended with the Cuban family, and you know, there's some Irish DNA there. So, wow. I just really like that. I really like that story, even though there's about five different versions of what happened to her and that baby. So, yeah. Um, let me see. I have another. Yeah, I think that's, you know, I'm super excited. Um, that's pretty much all the questions that I had. So I do have Irish ancestry and I'm going to, um, I'm excited to learn more. At what point would you recommend to someone to take a, a genealogy trip to Ireland. I mean, obviously not right now, but <laughs> I think it's I think I think it's a good idea to try and do your research before you come to Ireland. Like I said, there's an awful lot that is available online so that you can find out exactly where your family came from before you arrive. So I've met lots of people who've come and they've we offer a, a genealogy service. There's a free genealogy advisory service in the National Archives of Ireland. So there's people who've come in to our office at like three o'clock on a Friday and they're just off a plane. They're ready to start finding their Irish ancestors. And within sort of the first 20 minutes of talking to them, they haven't brought enough information to be able to find them. Um, so there's, there's very little we can do. And they have maybe sort of put aside three days to do genealogical research. But of course, they're just starting at the weekend when everything's closed. So, you know, I think if you're going to make a trip, you want to be really prepared. I would get as much research done in advance as possible so that you know exactly where you're going to go. And that way you can enjoy visiting that location and talking to the locals rather than spending it in a library in Dublin, perhaps not getting very far with the time that you have. And I've taken people to, you know, our, probably the same as Cuba, our topography really hasn't changed that much in 200 years. So bar urban development, 
the fields are still the same fields with the same boundaries that they were, you know, 200 years ago. So I've been with people and we've, we've, we've gone to the field and we've seen the ruins of the old house and we have maps that prove their ancestor lived there. And that's a huge thing to stand in a landscape and look around you and see what your great grandmother would have seen from the doorway of her house. And that's, that's, I think, if you can get to that point, that's when it's worth making the trip. And, you know, you go into the local pub because people here, local community memory is really strong here. So if you go into a local pub in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an area and just start chatting, you will find, you will be put in touch with, <laughs> do you know, Paddy Joe, who knew everybody, whose grandfather knew everybody and passed down all the stories. And that, that stuff isn't, I mean, oh yes, some of it's written down, but that's the stuff you're not going to get in books and you're not going to get on the internet. You're going to get it by sitting there chatting with this person and hearing the stories that they have to tell, potentially about people you're related to. You know, some of it add a pinch of salt, but generally you will be able to get a few interesting pieces out of it. So lay a good bit of groundwork before you make your trip so that you know exactly where you're going and don't arrive expecting, you know, Patrick Murphy to jump off the page and greet you. <laughs> so you, you mentioned storytelling. So I'm a genealogist, but I really am a storyteller or a story listener. Mm. So I, I can retell those stories. So have have you had any experiences with this with the storytelling element? Especially kids love that part. It's a great way to share history with younger generations who normally don't like history. They don't want to take a history class, they want to open a history book. But when you, you start telling these family stories, or even like you said, a story of my family that lived next to that family, that's still interesting to me because yeah. they would have had a very similar life. Yeah. There's a really interesting thing that might be worth taking a look at. Um, and it's this project uh, in the 1930s, what the Irish government did was that they sent out uh, notebooks, we call them copy books, to 5,000 school children all over the island. And they asked them to go home and interview their grandparents or their oldest neighbor and talk to the people in their area and collect their stories. And so they, they, they wrote them all down um, and brought them back to school. And these were submitted back to, their, it's called the Folklore Collection, which is held in Dublin. And they have digitized those notebooks and they're freely available to read online at a website called ducas.ie, which is D-U-C-H-A-S.ie. And again, like that for engaging children, these are the stories that were written by children from their grandparents, and they're full of, you know, they're full of the stories of kind of the ghosts, the holy wells, the local traditions, what happens during the famine. But the voice of the people is so evident in the writing you know, and, and they really pick that up. So that's a lovely collection, you know, of, of, of stories. And it, I mean, all it costs the government is the price of 5,000 notebooks, which is nothing. And yet we still have them today. So the folklore collection were, did a, they also interviewed adults and had a whole separate project for local um, uh, historians and shanachies and storytellers to start collecting that. Similarly, when they, when they carried out the first ordnance survey of Ireland, so when they mapped the island of Ireland first, the first proper mapping of the island, they sent Irish language experts and engineers and names experts out to every single parish 
And they often interviewed the oldest people they could find about where local names came from. Now, some of their letters and their papers survived and they've been published. But again, you've got these stories that they collected and they did this in the 1830s. So what an old member of the community will remember in 1830 can go all the way back to sort of the 1750s. So again, we have these lovely connections between, you know, sort of several generations through a storyteller. So we, there's material out there, which I think is really exciting. And again, that, as a, the person you meet in the pub is sort of carrying on that tradition of they just remember the local stories and it's their responsibility, I think, to, to share that and, and keep it for future generations. That's a beautiful story. I, I wish other, other places would have thought to do that, but in the 1930s and 1830s, that's an amazing... Isn't it? That's, that's an amazing idea. I love that. It's a great legacy. But you see, there's something really interesting because Ireland was used as a kind of a test ground by the United Kingdom for rolling out certain projects. So they, in, they did the Ordnance Survey in Ireland first. They, did, they introduced free national education in Ireland 10 years before they did in England. Hmm. So because they tried out a lot of these, these sort of projects, which were, you know, some of them were philanthropic, you know, they were about collecting data and collecting information and, and preserving heritage. So because they tried them out here, we actually have saved an awful lot um, that hasn't been saved in other places in the world. You know, you're, you guys are a, a great model. So I wish I could mm. go back in time and I know. <laughs> gather some of those notebooks around other, other places. So um, I guess my last question or topic would be about Irish DNA. Um, mm -hmm. How maybe some examples of how you've used it. Um, I definitely have Irish cousins in the U.S., but um, how how do you kind of filter your way through that? And you know, it doesn't always it's not always an accurate match to get you back to Ireland at a certain point. Some people have some expectations, so I would just like to hear about what you think about Irish DNA and about DNA test testing in general. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm. I don't know much about the science. It's something I need to spend some time on. But in terms of its uses for genealogy, I have been dealing with clients who have made their matches. Um, and then my job is to try and document where two brothers, say, diverged and that one emigrated and one remained in Ireland so that we can trace a family back to a very specific place. So actually, it's proved really, really helpful because if you put together three or four matches that come from the same line, and it's determining that they all come from the same line, by triangulating the information relating to each of them, you can end up finding a specific location in Ireland where your ancestors came from. So while your direct ancestor may not have left enough documentation behind that says what town they were born in and who their father was, your DNA match ancestor may have left more information. And that's a really vital part of Irish genealogy. So we often recommend people look for siblings who emigrated because they may have left more documents. So similarly, a DNA match that also emigrated or a DNA match found in another place may have left more information behind that will help you find your ancestor. So that's proved really, really helpful. And in fact, I worked in a project where a person who was uh, adopted, whose father's name was not reported on their birth certificate, 
and who was in their 80s and was trying to identify who their birth father was. Using DNA, we were able to identify a pool of siblings, some of whom who emigrated, one of whom was a male of the right age living in the right city in the United States at the right time and could only be the father of this individual. So like, there's a huge amount that can be done with DNA and it, it, it's, it's happening here. So the databases are filling up with more and more Irish uh, people. Um, one of my colleagues who specializes, or who's done a lot of work in DNA, she would always recommend um, family tree DNA because they've been doing Irish DNA projects for a really long time. So they have a really good database of Irish DNA um, if you want to try and find uh, matches. Uh, similarly, Jed match, obviously. Um, and then Ancestry has been rolling out a really big sort of program here in terms of recruiting people for DNA. So I'd say they've probably got a pretty good database at this stage. But I would say to, to you know, tout your DNA around and don't just rely on finding the match in Ancestry. Go to all the other free databases to put your, your information in to see if you can get the match. The more people you connect with, the better your chance of finding out where you came from. Right. And maybe having some cousins or siblings that are still alive to have them tested as well. So Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. FTDNA. Well, thank you so much. I think that's all the questions that I have. So this this I'm gonna spend a couple more hours just looking around um your website and some of those websites that you gave me. That that's part of the key is you don't know where to start. So Yeah. Some of these some of these websites are gonna be amazing. So well, we have a good guide on our website, which mm -hmm. is Tracing Your Irish Ancestors Online. So that's a real introduction to all the free and pay websites that are there for doing Irish genealogy. And then kind of step by step, so where to start. And then the John Grenham website, I'd say as well, is just a really valuable resource. Now you get 10 free goes a day and then it'll reset. But the subscription is really small. So if you're going to do a lot of Irish research, it's it's worth the money, I would say, at this point. <laughs> and you have your own podcast. Um, how often do those episodes come out? Very infrequently, I'm afraid. Um, we had, had a run of doing a few of them a couple of years ago, but the person I was recording it with wasn't available. So I need to get it back up and running again. It's a lot so. of work. All these little projects. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of work. So. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time. If you ever come to Washington, D.C., I'm a, also a tour guide. So wonderful. If you ever come here, you let me know and we'll make sure that we take, take you around the city. And um, I'm excited to get uh, this podcast out to the, to the Cuban Americans that have you know, Irish ancestry showing up in their DNA. Or, you know, like you said, in Cuba, there's uh, Irish streets, you know. And people yeah. are always, you know, where, where do those Irish names come from? So um, it's, it's so interesting and, and fascinating. I, um, I think they're, they're really going to, you know, they, we don't get a lot of Irish. We don't get any Irish um, uh, connection as far as people giving us information. It's just kind of, you know, I think it's like 5% of the population that has some Irish DNA, but. Um, the, okay. it's the, it's the storytelling and it's the, you know, trying to figure some of those things out, you know, when, yeah. how to make those connections. So I, I appreciate you taking out time for us today and I'm excited to get this online and I'll, I'll, I'll send you a follow-up email with that information as well. So 
Brilliant. Lovely. Well, it was lovely talking to you, Brian. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you Take for care. your time. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.